Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into true crime cases through the lens of a trained investigator and former prosecutor turned judge. If you are sensitive to expletives, anatomical descriptions, and accurate descriptions of true crime scenes, this podcast may not be suitable for you. Are you sick of giving the special people in your life the same old lame gifts year after year? Well, I am here to help you, friends. You know if you're an avid listener of this podcast, at the beginning of each episode, I shake a genuine kangaroo scrotum sack for good luck. Now you can own your own genuine handmade kangaroo scrotum sack and not just a sack. Maybe you're looking for a bottle opener a unique back scratcher, whatever it is that you're looking for, you can find it at rueballs.com and enter code CRIME10 for 10% off your order. That's R-O-O-B-A-L-L-S.com, promo code CRIME10 for 10% off your order. Keep it curious and keep it shaken. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Megan. And welcome to our 200th episode, Megan. Two for 200. Two for 200. This is part two. You look fantastic for 200. Has anyone told you that? Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Gosh. Flattery will get you everywhere with me. Oh, I'm aware. (laughs) (laughs) It ain't my first day. Oh, gosh. So here we are, part two of the beautiful Molly Young's story. Um, If you have not listened to part one, you are totally lost. And so you must stop us right now and go and find episode 199. For part one. You cannot jump in on our 200th episode. You must at least start with 199. Yes, exactly. We're not asking you to go all the way back. If you're new here, hi, welcome. Cool. Thanks, I would never, thanks for showing up. I would never ask you to go all the way the first time we meet. Thank you. Just go back. Just a little bit. A little bit. Yep. Yep. Just one Get episode. to know us just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Listen to Molly's You won't be episode. disappointed. You will not. And, and I'm going to just pick up right where we left off. So do it. If you need a recap, listen to the very end, I guess, of that. If you can't remember last week's guys, try to try to rack your brain. Remember, at this point in time, we've got Molly, who is deceased with a gunshot wound to her head. And the only suspect in the case is not cooperating. And that is Richie Minton. Um, and we're going to jump right in here with Molly's autopsy report which you and I have both seen, um, all the information that we will tell you today was sent to us from the file that was finally um, uh, released and FOIA'd through Molly's father, Larry Young. And so he has shared that information with us. We've done several, I've done several interviews with him. We have interviewed detectives on this case. And so <clears throat> that is where our information is coming from. And I'm just going to start this out to tell you, Megan, um, I found it incredibly difficult different to my soul when I read a full autopsy that was sent directly by the The victim's victim's parent. When you feel like you really have gotten to know this person intimately and their family and how much their family loved them, it, the autopsy report doesn't read quite as uh, medically and as, as cold as autopsy reports often do. So um, the, the report showed that the members present during the autopsy were the coroner, Dr. David uh, Kupfer, uh, Deputy Coroner Jeff Wisely, and crime scene investigator Greg Martz. 
Special Agent Aaron Cooper, and Master Sergeant Myron. Myron Panzing from the Illinois State Police and D. Cross from Carbondale Police Department. I'm not going to read the whole autopsy sure, report, of course. obviously, but I'm going to tell you some information from it. They documented that a contact gunshot wound of entry was noted on the left frontal scalp. The wound was situated two, per, two inches above the left ear and one half inch above the left eyebrow and two inches from the midline. All right. So that's more the side of the head? It was kind of like frontal side between, if you see where my hand Above is. Above the ear. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it is back farther, but I, I guess you said it's eyebrow. Like they were, they, they were, were measuring, measuring from, from the, the eyebrow. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yep. Measuring from the eyebrow. Um, there was no gunpowder powder residue on her hand at all. <laughs> there was obviously plenty found on her scalp, on her hair, and throughout her cranium. The track of the projectile was backwards, slightly downwards, and the track was through the left frontal scalp, and the projectiles traveled through the left cranium, through the frontal lobe and temporal lobes, reaching the posterior aspect of the cranium. Um, The projectile appeared to have struck the endocranium on the left posterior cranial fascia, resulting in defects there, um, and basically is where it came to a stop. It lodged Mm -hmm. in the back of her skull. Mm -hmm. Yep. There was a bluish contusion present on her left foot and also bruises, contusions noted on her left thigh. Okay. There was also one that was older that was on her knee, Um, but they believed that that wasn't caused during the incident at any time. I'm a a bruiser. I bruise easy, so. Yep. There were 19 lab tests done. Her toxicology report showed that she had below therapeutic levels of lorazepam in her system, and she had small levels of Benadryl for allergies, which she often took. Sure. Um, But there was no drugs or alcohol. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the Benadryl, though, because when I interviewed one of my interviews with her father, Larry, she said, you know, it was argued that on the toxicology report that there was hallucinogenics, and she's like, there's no hallucinogenics. What they were talking about in terms of that was the small levels of Benadryl that can be seen as a hallucinogenic. And so the family had to explain, she takes, she has seasonal allergies and this is March 24th. She takes Benadryl for allergies, not hallucinogenic properties. Benadryl's not considered a hallucinogen. Apparently how <clears throat> they had coded it. It's an antihistamine. Mm-hmm, how they originally had coded it. It was coded incorrectly like it was a hallucinogen. And so it took some some clearing up there. That's my understanding. I mean, the lorazepam <laughs> is a is a normally prescribed um, mental health drug, uh, anxiety, depression, those type of things. Anxiety, yes. I think, actually, right? Yes. And um, when you say below therapeutic levels, that means she hadn't, she wasn't abusing it. No, correct. Exactly. <laughs> Just so she, people know, below therapeutic level means she was not abusing. She was taking it as prescribed. And in fact, probably was probably under where less, she needed. Yes. Well, she was deceased and needed to, I yeah. mean, she never got her last dose and mm-hmm. it's only going to pick up the dose at the time of death. Right. right. Your body stops processing. So you get an accurate depiction of exactly what was in someone's system at yes. the time they died. Yep, exactly. Um, and I believe that this was prescribed to her because she had actually had an, a, a cancer operation prior to this. And oh. so she she had some, okay. some prescriptions that were, you know, going through for that. Um, 
So doc, the doctor's final statement was, quote, this 21-year-old female was found dead with a con- contact gunshot wound to the head. The investigation conducted by the agencies involved indicated self-inflicted wound. Wound. The manner of death is classifiable as suicide. I want to read this last part again. The investigation conducted by the agencies involved indicated self-inflicted wound. The manner of death is classifiable as suicide. He's not giving suicide as the cause of death. The cause of death is gunshot wound to the head. Okay. But he's saying, based on the information that the investigators gave me because they indicated it was self-inflicted, I can't rule that out. It's classifiable then as suicide. So then there's a question of why was a police officer giving the coroner any information about the suspected cause of death? The body should tell the story. So in the case file on the that this found years later, guys, once the FOIA, and we'll get to that, goes through for Mr. for Larry, for Mr. Young and his family, they realize that the officers put this statement in the case file. On June 17th, so this is like a memo that's in the case file. On June 7th, 2012, reporting agent, special agent Aaron Cooper, number 4975, received the pathologist report that had been prepared by Dr. Nanduri regarding the autopsy of Molly M. Young. Dr. Nanduri performed the autopsy at Carbondale Memorial Hospital in Carbondale, Illinois, on March 25th, 2012. The report has been mailed to him, he said, to this RIA at the Illinois State Police Department. So he's talking about the chain of evidence, how he received this statement, okay? And he is saying that there is a copy of the autopsy report attached to this memo, this report that he's doing. A copy of his report was placed in the exhibit envelope and routed to the case file. And he says, Dr. Naduri's final statement states, quote, this 21-year-old female was found dead with a contact, sh- con- excuse me, a contact gunshot wound to the head. The investigation conducted by the agencies involved indicated self-inflicted wound. The manner of death is classifiable as suicide, end quote. In the note, he, this Officer Cooper wrote, it should be noted that at no time did this R.A., or any other representative of the state Illinois police tell Dr. Naduri that investigators believed that the gunshot wound was self-inflicted. It was discussed with Dr. Nuri at the autopsy, autopsy of the possibility that the gunshot wound was self-inflicted, but Dr. Naduri was advised that investigators did not know at that time if it was suicide or a homicide. So here's this statement. We have the autopsy report where the doctor is saying, hey, I was investigators told told me me. that this was self-inflicted and it's, it could be classified as, I mean, it's a gunshot wound to the head. It could be classified as a suicide. And all of a sudden there's this note in the case file that's saying from the police officers, nope, we didn't tell them that. What we told him is that there's a possibility that the gunshot wound was self-inflicted, but we told him, we don't know if it's suicide or homicide. I have nothing to say. Yes. Go so ahead. Go now, keep going. I included this because I want you to see how you can see if, a, if you're a family member and you read this, why you have concerns. Yep. Who's lying? 
The coroner or the police officer who wrote that memo, who's misunderstanding? Where was the bald? What's happening here? And as a family member, I can see why they're concerned. As I often instruct juries, when you're asking them to look at the evidence, you and, and the person testifying, you ask questions like this. Consider who has a reason to tell the truth and who has a reason to tell a lie. You can believe all, some, or none of the testimony or things that this person says or evidence that comes from them based off of that. So think to yourselves, who has a reason to lie? I love that because why would the doctor have a reason to lie? I'm just going to insert I mean, that's that just here. what you're coming up with from yes. my general statement that Correct. I give to juries. Yes, exactly. So I'm asking the general public from me, as in my opinion, who would have the the most to gain from a fabrication, a manipulation, a twist of the truth, okay? So I'm going to take you through the investigator's forensic lab results. Yes. Um, that were, were sent to us. I always like fa- the facts, the scientific facts. Yes. They tell you the story. Yep, and here... Without a human coming in and putting and it into it sentence up. format, just this is what I found. Yep. This is what I saw. Yep. All right, so I'm going to read you what the, the title of the lab report, the forensic scientific findings, and then the comments that were put in by the um, person processing the forensic lab results. Yes. Okay? This isn't the county coroner still. This is nope. the actual lab this technician, the for- forensics. The f- this is the path of the forensic evidence. All right. Okay. So let's go over the toxicology of Molly. Normal therapeutic amounts of one prescribed drug, no alcohol. All right. The prescribed drug in the comments was discussed because of a previous cancer operation. Okay. There's the toxicology of Richie Minton. No um, volatiles detected in blood, no drugs detected in his urine. The tests in the comments, the tests were given at 7, 10 p.m. Then we have Molly's head hair combings. There was fibers, miscellaneous debris, and... Um, hairs that were, there were some hairs that were unsuitable for comparison because of the damage that was done by the the gun itself. So they did not test those any further. The lab report that was titled pathologist report said Molly had multiple bruises on her foot, knee, and thigh. In the comments for the forensic pathologist report, it says signs of a struggle. There's another report titled pathologist report. Molly had large patterned abrasions on both sides of her head. In the comments, it says signs of a struggle. Not to be a smart ass, but did it ever say anything about them having the opinion that one can struggle after you're dead? Nope. Just wanted to know. Just, Just wanted to make yeah. sure the experts didn't mention something I wasn't aware of. Nope. They sure didn't. They kept this very scientific. In a pathologist report, um, the date that was submitted for the all of you know for these is March 25th. It says um, there's no blood no back spatter or injury on either side of Molly's hands. I need to read that again, yes, you guys. Yes, you do. Say it. There's no blood, back spatter, or injury on either side or, or on either of Molly's hands. Not her right hand, not her left hand. What does this say to the forensic pathologist? In the comments they wrote, Evidence that Molly didn't fire the weapon. Okay. Then in the pathologist report, again, from 325.12, 
the trajectory was downward on top of the left side of the head inside the frontal. Trajectory was downward on top of the left side of the head inside frontal scalp. Molly was right-handed with no gun experience. Okay, it's part of the report. Uh Now, the test gun for Molly's fingerprints. Molly's fingerprints were not on Minton's gun found on the floor at the crime scene. Really? Mm -hmm. Were any fingerprints on it? No. Evidence that... That gun just happened to get under her with no one touching it? Uh And this is evidence that Molly did not fire the weapon. Um, Then in a report called the test fire gun, um, the gun was found to be in firing conditions. Ballistic testings were not performed on the gun. They didn't do any ballistic testing on the gun. They knew it was operational. Yep, they did. Um, Molly's fingernail clippings. There was some apparent dark debris that was adhering to these four clippings, um, consistent with the DNA of Mr. Minton, who had two fresh six-inch scratches on his back. This is what happens when skin accumulates under fingernails. Yeah. Minton's uh, comforter from his bed, Molly's blood was on it, um, is indicated, you know, indicated on his comforter. Um, blood dripping, they they suspect that there was a blood dripping event over the top of the comforter. Okay, so essentially back spatter. Yes. On the comforter. There was Molly's DNA on the comforter. As we can, you know, figure male DNA, Molly's DNA, both on the comforter um, and on found on the bloods as well. Um, I guess that's probably not a big surprise to find her DNA no. on his comforter. Mm-hmm. They did the gun residue testing on her hands. Molly did not have any gunpowder residue on either hand. And Minton and the roommate, Wes Romack, admitted to washing their hands before the evidence was, was collected from them. Uh, let's no see. one in the house had GSR. One of them uh, was deceased and we know is accurate. The other two, there was a compromising incident, that being the hand washings that mm-hmm. occurred. They found Minton's DNA, his blood, on his comforter. Oh. He bled on his comforter. From the scratches in his back? Correct. The notes are that it's possible because Minton had two fresh six-inch scratches on his back. The, the PGSR on Minton's clothing, so the gunshot res- residue on his clothing. Minton's pajama and street clothing have gunshot residue um, on them. So they did have the clothes. They did go back. Remember the crime scene? Was, yes. Was, I, we just um, weren't sure what happened with the pajama pants yes. and stuff and bagged and evidence. So yep. I'm glad that happened. Okay. So yep. they tested them and there was GSR. Uh-huh. There was, there was gunshot residue on his clothing indicating that he was wearing them when he fired was near the weapon. Right. Possibly fired the weapon was near where the weapon was fired. Not asleep in his bed. Yep. Minton's pajama pants have blood splatter and transfer on them. GSR transfer or do they just mean DNA transfer? uh, DNA. Okay. Yep. Blood splatter. Yep. It's Molly's. The blood that was found on on the pajamas were Molly's. Um, And And of course he was there kneeling next to her. Yeah. uh, Allegedly performing CPR, which I'm hoping you'll get to soon. There, no, there's no evidence of CPR. Right. So mm-hmm. this would have showed up in a pathology report, in an autopsy, 
there are signs when there's CPR that's performed. Mm-hmm. And yep. that, that's never been that's indicated in any scientific record. No, correct. Okay. The imprints, this one, this report is called Compare Imprints on Left Hand to Gun. Um, imprints on Molly's left palm do not match Minton's gun. So the imprints on her palm. Yes. Did not match. They didn't fit a gun at any. There, There's literally the, in the comments says no evidence that Molly fired the weapon. They have, they have zero evidence that she fired this weapon. There's the forensic, what the forensic science of the crime scene and the bodies are telling us, okay? <laughs> now we're going to move on to what, has, what happened in this case. Like, why is this where it is today, all right? Two months after Molly's death, Richie Minton posted on his Facebook page, and it caused a lot of people some concerns, um, we can see in one of the crime scene photos, there's a CD sitting next to Molly's purse called uh, Death Before Dishonor. Okay. All right. It's a band, something yeah. like that. Okay. Uh, that's not a crime. No. Uh, well, two months after her death, Richie gets this huge tattoo across his chest, and I do mean it is huge. And it literally is that saying. It, it says Death Before Dishonor. And it upset Molly's family. Okay. Sure. He posted, Does is this evidence? No. No. Oh, I mean, he. we Not could come up with so many things, could, right? right? This was Molly's use. favorite band, and so this was the last thing we were listening to together, and so I'm going to put it across my chest. Well, interesting that you say that, because his Larry did send me a, a Facebook uh, message that was sent to him from a tat- the tattoo artist that does Molly's tattoos. <gasps> About a month after her death, something very close after her death, Richie Minton reached out to this person and said, you know, Molly always trusted you for your tattoos and I want to get something. I think she loved butterflies too. And I want to get a butterfly, um, you know, in honor of her. And the tattoo artist said, I have no interest in working with you and would not tattoo him. Um, <clears throat> uh, this one is the one that just, can I guess me. that he might've just like read the news? Maybe, maybe. Inquiring minds want to know. Mm-hmm. Also, where's your tattoo shop, sir? I'll come get a tattoo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love butterflies, too. I have a whole bunch of them. Mm-hmm. So this one is the one that disturbed me the most. Um, he posted that year, you know, 2012. So Father's Day is in June. So she, this incident took place on March 24th. So here we are in June. And he posted a happy, happy Father's Day to his dad. Okay. Okay. And that's normal, right? It is. But it said, quote, happy Father's Day to the man that taught me all the important things in life, like if they can't breathe, they can't fight. And <gasps> go to work sick. Call in when you have shit to do. Oh, End my. Quote. No. His father responded to this post saying, thanks, bud. Oh, so true. If they can't breathe, they can't fight. Okay. Um, that would concern me. How far out are we now from when this happened? Father's well, Day to Father's Day is June, June, and this happened March twenty fourth. Okay, so using deductive reasoning skills, and for our listeners, charges were never brought Mm-mm. on anyone Mm-mm. because it was ruled a suicide. Mm-hmm. And now this is what the family has to look at, and to as they're trying to put these pieces. So the case together. is technically closed from a police. No, they were still working it. But remember, Minton's not cooperating. They're getting nothing from him. 
They so they had they it cooperated open. with what the warrant said to collect to go through um, computer, to go through cell phone, to go through his car, and to go through his apartment and get his DNA. He okay? doesn't have to cooperate, Charnel. After he that, he hasn't been charged with anything. Correct, and we're going to get to the extraction of the computer and the phone in just a second. Another concern for Molly's family is that. Actually, when I say just a second, I mean like right now. Um, (laughs) That's how I like my seconds to work. Yes, immediately. 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 Um, You guys need to be made aware that Mr. Minton's father, he works for a different police department. Not the same one that Richie worked for as a dispatcher. He works for a different police department, and he is a forensic retrieval extraction device expert. So literally during investigations, phones and computer go to Mr. Minton's father in his department, okay, to be extracted, to collect data for evidence, for investigations. According to Minton's cell phone records, over 1,000 texts between Mr. Minton and Molly were missing from Molly's phone from March 9th, 2012, Back to January 2012. At 9.44 a.m., Minton called the dispatcher on duty and tried to get, physically get this, this, um, this on-duty deputy, police officer. police officer who was at the scene to, get to the retrieve phone. Molly's phone. I remember you saying that. Mm-hmm. Molly's family was unable to get the records through a FOIA request for years when the police would comply, they left out information. And we know this factually because, hold on, Larry submitted to us official documents from the state of Illinois Office of Attorney General conf- that confirmed, they acknowledged and confirmed that the Carbondale Police Department had violated the Freedom of Information Act by withholding information and photograph, photographs from Larry's request. This didn't happen until 2018. Yes. They had been foying and asking for information from 2012 to 2018 and were not. They Being were given the information. They weren't given the information. They were found to be in violation of the FOIA. Of FOIA. Sure. Act. So they denied, they were denying this FOIA, citing that it was an open case but they weren't investigating the only suspect that the, that has ever been brought that's never cooperated beyond what was requested through these warrants. He never cooperate. He's never been interviewed, Megan. He's he, never cooperated he's with ref- an interview. You can't because of his Fifth Amendment rights. Correct. You can't force somebody to come in an interview. But you know what you can do. So I'm going to tell you something I used to do based off of experience. This is not me being judgmental, critical of that particular agency or prosecutor's office. When presented with evidence and without a confession or even an interview or interrogation that causes concern, often I would take that evidence and determine if there was probable cause to issue a warrant for that person's arrest. Yes. Often, upon being taken into custody and being placed under arrest, the case might proceed perhaps farther at that point. And we have never got there here. Nope. There's never been a charge. Correct. You, 
you can decide yourself whether there's enough information here for there to be a ch- for there to be charges to have been brought or not. Sure. Yep. So all the information that I have told you, not only in this episode, but in the part one, in part one, was not known by Molly's family until they finally got the case file in 2018. Years. They sat there wondering the truth about did their daughter commit suicide? Did their, they knew, they, they know she didn't. But what was the truth? What was really happening? What information did the police really have that made them not pursue charges? Like they just wanted answers. I can tell you that the police chief lost his, lost his job over this, and he did an interview with a TV reporter, actually. It's out there. You can access it. Um, Larry actually said in my inter- one of my interviews with him, he said that he feels bad for him because he doesn't actually believe that the chief was the issue. He really believes that it was more so some of those deputies that were doing things like, I don't know, allowing the guy to change his clothes at the crime scene. Sure. You know, but, and wash his hands. But the police right? chief's who lost the job. Yes, because you're responsible. he's the one in charge, right? Yeah. So now to something Sometimes positive. Sometimes shit flows uphill. Right. And that, well, that's exactly like what happened here and, and kind of what Larry was, you know, saying is he doesn't necessarily think it was the chief that I think he was at first a little when he's like, oh, well, he called in. Oh, wait, then there's no contact. Wait, we don't have him. We don't have record of him calling in. He wasn't, eh, you know, at the very early stages, maybe was there some things? Possibly. But at the brunt of it, was he the one that caused the the major issues? No, nothing. You know, Larry didn't, wasn't giving me that impression. But he did lose his job over the mishandling and misconduct of the case. Um, so let me tell you at least something positive that's come from Please. this. Because of the fight that Larry and other members of Molly's family have endured trying to get justice for Molly and never giving up, there is a law in the state of Illinois called Molly's Law that extends... I got goosebumps everywhere. Yes. It extends the statute of limitations for violent crimes from... It used to be that the statute of limitations ran out after two years. But now, thanks to Molly's Law, it doesn't run out until after five years. Oh, and let's be clear, that's on a civil case. Yes. So there is no statute of limitations on homicide, mm-hmm. okay? So for, for a, a crime, a fat felony. But what happened here, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is just my understanding of the law at this point, is that for them to bring a wrongful death suit yes. under a civil claim, yes. think O.J. Simpson, guys, yep. you know, a successful uh, civil suit there. This couldn't happen here because by the time they were able to get the information they needed to file the wrongful death suit, the SOL had wrong. Exactly. And I mean statute of limitations, not shit out of luck, but it both means the same thing. <laughs> For sure. It really does. And yes. then there's also other potential crimes that could have been charged as misdemeanors or lower felonies, and the SOLs, statute of limitations, ran on those two. Yep. So Larry's looked at every possibility in terms of, uh, you know, what other charges could be made. How about lying to a police officer, furnishing yes. false information, attempting to hide evidence? All of those fell under that statute of limitations. Yep. And if they could have got the information within a reasonable amount of time, as FOIA is intended for. Yep. Right? Yep. But they were 
they dipped around yeah. by foot, you know. Well, and here here's the thing too. I know somewhere in that police agency or that HR department, somewhere there's a lady or a man who type up and do the FOIA request, right? Mm-hmm. This is probably somebody that gets paid $12 an hour. They have nothing to do with the actual case and they're, and they're doing their job. And at the time, what they see is open investigation so they don't do it or they deny it. Our concern is, and I think what Larry's concern is, and why Molly's Law worked when it, it changed the whole process with FOIAs and when you, when you had to respond to them as an agency is, you can't call something open when you aren't working you're on not it. you actively investigating it anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. At this point, it's just a reason to deny access to information. Yes. Now, I would never want a case ruined or information to get out there that would destroy a case. Yeah. But with effective communication between departments and the victim's family, that could have been explored. Yep. Like we have, we have a lead and if it comes out, then we won't be able to get this. Yes. We only have one lead in this case that you've presented me with. Yep. A viable lead. The only suspect in this case at this point. Yes. So. I believe Larry said at one point in time, there was a disgruntled ex-boyfriend that they considered, but they interviewed him and. Of Molly's? Like a different ex-boyfriend? Yep. Yep. But again, the likelihood of him coming into the apartment and offing her. Where Mitten and How would he know where to get that dude's gun? Right? Like. Yeah. But the other thing, no ballistics tests were done on Minton's gun. So did Minton's gun even fire? Did the, I mean, the caliber match. I mean. It it, does. It It, a hundred percent does. But when we didn't do ballistics on it. Well, what did he just, I mean, he had his gun on the floor and she fell on it after some other type of trauma to the top of her head. You guys got to use reason and common sense here at some point. You do. But I just, um, I really wanted everybody to know how hard Molly's family has fought for her. But not only that, but to just to make sure that there are legally other things that can prevent this from happening. And I knew you'd pick up on it really quickly that, oh, the wrongful death suit can't come forward because the statute of limitations had already run out by the time they got the real information that they had been asking for for years. And so, oh, and let me also add, because I know some of you are going to ask and it is super sad, Molly's Law, it's not retro. It's not retroactive. They can't just say now because it's extended on these, you can go back and bring it. They cannot. It's done. They cannot bring that suit. that's what the law was at the time that it happened. Yeah, exactly. So instead, it went from two years statute of limitations for violent crimes to five years or within one year of when criminal proceedings ends and changes to the state FOIA law have now... um, have now found that they've now changed that if an entity is found in violation of the FOIA law, like this particular department was, they're subject of a fine of up to $1,000 a day for every day that they're found to be in violation of the act. Yes. So that is more incentive for a department to know you're going to take FOIA seriously when it, it is requested, you're going to abide by the law and give the information that is is required um so that larry said he can't believe how many people he's met um other grieving parents who've lost their child children in very similar circumstances um he's just really this man has hit the ground running and has been into contact with so many souls that have needed information about how did you do this larry how did you change your 
state's laws because that's what we needed, you know, in, in my child's case. And he's helped people know who to go to, what feathers to ruffle to make sure that you get this law passed, you know, in your state or something similar and use Molly's case as an example. And he's just, it's just been amazing. He even put together this very cool, um, he sent it to us, but it's like a, it basically spells it out step-by-step for if you don't know how to do a FOIA request, this is how you do it. Uh And I thought that was wonderful. And he shares that every time somebody reaches out to him, he shares that this is how you do this in your child's case or your loved one's case, whatever it may be. So Larry Young has done some amazing things already, Mm -hmm. um, in terms of, uh, advocating and we have Molly's law. He has yep. Molly's Law, which has happened in, in Illinois then. And, w- I mean, what's the next step for Larry Chanel? Like, what does Larry want out of this? Well, we're going to get to that in just a second. Um, there is one more piece of, of evidence that Larry has that, you know, maybe they would be willing, if this ever is explored in court, to come forward that you should probably know. And that's just that he was contacted by one of Mr. Minton's ex-girlfriends. And that ex-girlfriend indicated, I absolutely know that Mr. Minton did this. Um, He tried to harm me. I found him. I woke up and found him um, standing, pointing a gun at me. And my bedside. See, goosebumps. And it's always up one side for me. This side time, it's the right side. And (laughs) it goes from the toes up to the top of my ear. And everything's goosey. And the other side's normal. I'm holding my my chest. You really are. I know. Like, okay. It's just, um, for, for him, when he keeps getting feedback like this, Mm -hmm. it's just, it steams him ahead, right? Of, I have to continue to fight for, um, Molly. Now, what we can do is obviously the family just wants to see this case explored in court, right? At this point in time, no one's been arrested guys. Nothing is, has been explored in court. They believe that their daughter, Molly, who loved rainbows, and let me tell you how much I bawled when Larry told me this story, and I'm going to tell you it too. Take a deep breath. Molly loved rainbows so much that he, she actually sends them to Larry whenever, um, whenever she can. So while through tears, Larry told me about how there was a billboard um, in Illinois that had a statement that said justice for Molly with her picture on it. When that billboard was raised a rainbow appeared over it. Mm. And then they had a rainbow put on her beautiful headstone. Um, it's actually on findagrave.com. You can see it. It's My gorgeous. Favorite. I know. I love that. Um, and there's rainbows on there. When they had that put in, a double rainbow appeared over her headstone. Um, they've planted a dogwood uh, tree in her honor. It's, uh, it's still there 11 years later. I love dogwood trees. We <sighs> do that every time somebody in my family passes too. Mm-hmm. And so this family, the, the, the case needs to go to the state attorney general's office to be prosecuted. Um, they do, they're, they are in contact with Larry and they tell Larry that they, they do plan to pick it up, but they've not made a move on it. All okay. right. So if you live in the state of Illinois, if you're in the area of Carbondale, you may want to get justice of your own. You want, you may want to see this come to justice for one of your own, you know, um, you can go to justiceformolly.org. You can write the office of attorney general. Their contact info is on their website. I'll link it in the show notes here. And you can just seem very politely as a concerned citizen of your state, ask them to prosecute this, ask them to 
do the job to find the evidence to move forward with prosecution? You know, and and I'll be clear too, because as I stated at the beginning, on these cases, I'm always very careful. What we know is that this isn't a suicide. They said it was, but the evidence indicates otherwise. Otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, Mr. Linton is innocent. He has Minton. not yes. Minton. Minton. Yeah. He yeah. innocent until proven guilty right. in, in this great United States. This yep. is how this works. Absolutely. So in asking for there to be justice, what you're asking for is for a case where there is obviously um, not a suicide, where there was obviously a death that occurred uh, that was, uh, you know, an, an intentional death. You're asking it to be tried. Yes. So that somebody, a trier of fact, can make a decision about what happened to provide the young family with closure. Yes. It's as simple as that. It is. And it's not, hey, the, let's fry and crucify this person who no. we all assume is the murderer. Um, he might not be. He might not be. Put exactly. it to it, put it to a trial. Yep, yep. Let it be explored in court. Well, either by a, a trial of jury or you in know, front of a, a judge. Of a that judge. doesn't usually happen. No, no, not typically. <laughs> we have but, juries for a reason. Yep, exactly. But maybe the evidentiary trail may lead someplace else, right? But the problem is for the family is it's led nowhere. You've done nothing. This isn't suicide. So please, we just want to see this and take this evidence. And I'm going to tell you there is evidence and information that we have intentionally left out of this episode that was sent to us. And the, I did that on purpose because should this come to be explored in court, and my God, do we pray it does, we want a fair trial if it should ever come to that. So we don't want the possibility of it being thrown out because of an argument of too much evidence was leaked. You know, that happens with the media sometimes. Oh, they didn't get a fair trial because they had a a trial by um, media or, you know, public execution first. Um, So I, I have left information out. There is more information out there, but I've done that intentionally. And I'm sorry if that makes you upset at me, but it's, it's for a purpose. It's for a reason. And as an investigator, I understand the importance of these things. And so we're asking, I gave you lots of meat. Yeah. Lots of reason to be concerned about this case. Lots of reason to want to find justice for Molly. And so should you be so inclined absolutely reach out to your, if you're in the state of Illinois, even if you're not, you know, the, it's their contact information is there. It's do they email. have a website? They do. They have a website. It is, it's literally justice for Molly. Yes. Dot org. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, um, but also just the attorney general office in general, there's like an, a general information line that you can send an email to. Sure. That's just saying, Hey, you know, we haven't forgot about this case. Right. It's still here. The public still knows about this case and still wants to see justice for this case. So I am going to leave you on, you know, I like to leave on words from either the victim or the victim's family. Yes. In this particular case, guys, I'm going to leave you with words that were found on Molly because she had a long scripture type writing on her left forearm. And I, oh, it's a tattoo tattoo. Mm hmm. And it says, oh, it's going to, okay. Right in the feels. Right in the feels. Yep, I got to compose myself here. Uh, It read, quote, may peace be with you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid, end quote. Love it. So there's there's some words from Molly for all of us. And uh, go to justiceformolly.org. There's Facebook pages that you could join. Um, You can write them. Just whatever... 
whatever it is that your soul feels compelled to do, go forth and, and do it to try to help find justice for this. And I hope that I'm sure Larry, he's in contact with me. He yeah. will let me know updates that I can release you guys to you guys um, as we move forward, hopefully, with all of this in the future. So... Molly was a beautiful soul. She was. Thank you so much for presenting it and presenting it in the way that you did. Um, and I think one of the things just to, to keep in mind with this is that um, sometimes on cases, you're going to be called to act. Mm -hmm. And if you feel that call to action, then then do something about it. Yep. Um, Yep. It's the only way that the world If you're can legally evolve. allowed to. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. If you're legally allowed to. For well, sure. we wish the young family uh, good luck yes. and many prayers from me um, also. And just in case he's listening, I just want to thank Larry again for uh, the time that he spent with me sharing his daughter's case and who his daughter was. And it must be, I know it's terribly painful for him. Um, as a matter of fact, this has been months now, long of, of research that I've done, but it's because it's taken him some time to send me different snippets of, of um, evidence. And the reason for that is because he can very easily get consumed with this and let this consume him and, and affect his daily life and interactions. And I know, you know, he talked a little bit with me about his struggle with his, his wife will, will kind of gently remind him like, okay, we got to You've done your work for today. Yeah, let it, now let let's, it go for yep, a minute. Yep, exactly. And now let's live in the present and let's, you know, be okay. And so, and she's kind of his, his rock in that way. So it, it took a while to get all of the information and put it all together. And I wanted to do it in a very thorough and respective, respectful way for him. Cause I just really admire him and enjoyed my time speaking with him. So, um, and we didn't mention the different investigators that we talked to and things like that on purpose, right? Uh, just because this hasn't been explored in court. So, just uh, maybe maybe we could do an, an update someday about other things after we after this gets explored. Could in one court. could one hope that after presenting our two hundredth episode, that maybe by our three hundredth episode yeah. we would have an update? That'd be amazing, Wouldn't right? It? That'd be amazing. So okay, can I bathe you? Please bathe me because this was so hard. I know it was. Ooh. And last episode, um, or very quickly for those of you who are Patreons and heard both of these all at once, um, we talked about cats. Mm -hmm. I feel like I must round this out with dogs thank you and as intuitive and smart and sometimes evil as cats can be um this is 22 hilarious stories that prove dogs are too adorably stupid for their own good oh they are so i'm a dog person myself um, i like cats but i've always been a dog person i have a few cats that i enjoy otherwise for the most part i feel like they are plotting our demise uh yeah yeah yes all but right. dogs are just like you said, too adorably stupid for their own good. <laughs> they they really are. And so even just, you know, things like this. Oh gosh, my my dad, um, so submitted by Alyssa Gold from Facebook, and this is a BuzzFeed article, by the way. My dad tied my dog to the garbage can one day because she was getting into too much trouble. Well, she wanted to be near him, so she started walking away. The can was empty, not oh, full, gosh. like my dad thought. And it tipped it over. <laughs> And scared the shit out of the dog. Of course. In her frightened state, though, she proceeded to run down the driveway and into the street while dragging this empty trash can behind her. My dad went chasing after her, but she couldn't hear him calling her over the sounds of the trash can banging. He eventually caught her, but not before she dragged that thing into our neighbor's car. <gasps> 
whoops. Yeah. And that poor dog the whole time is like, why is this garbage can chasing me? Exactly. And I don't know what's noise. happening to me. I'm being chased by a monster. Right. So poor this thing. is the cutest puppy ever. It's like a little corgi. Oh my gosh. Look at him. And he's pancaked he to the floor. He is so cute because so you know he's been naughty. Yes. He's all squished down. Oh. And it says, uh, this is submitted by uh, Kai Shack. What could this sweet, innocent beast have ever done wrong, you ask? Absolutely nothing. She's eaten vanilla-scented candles, one and a half boxes of chocolate-covered cherries, about 60 fish oil pills all at one time, and a sewing needle. Oh, no. She threw up on three of the four occasions. I will let you guess which one came out the other end. Oh, no. Uh Uh-huh. Ouch. How about this? Oh, God. This is my worst fear living out on a farm, by the way. Submitted by Alex. My dog ate some wild turkey poop and then jumped in my lap and licked my face. (laughs) As I was telling him to get down, he stuck his tongue in my mouth. My other dog, Ben, carried a turd on command, on cue, through the dog door. (laughs) Like, They plotted that. They planned that Dogs don't eat shit, and then they want to love you. Listen, I know. I'm here to tell you that it's happened to me for deer poop in our yard. All right. Yes. Yes. And then she gives me a kiss, and I nearly vomit. Right. Because we have a a boundary talk at that point in time that it's okay if she loves poop, but I don't don't. love poop, and I don't want to share it, and I don't eat others' poop like she does, and I will respect her need to, but I'm going to, (laughs) she needs to respect my need not to. I love, see, and I love that you can have this conversation with your dog because a cat would turn around, stick its asshole in your face, and walk away. (laughs) It would starfish me and walk away. It would starfish me and walk away. Okay, this one's submitted by Eric Schnetzer from Facebook. When I got home, my dog had eaten a full tube of lipstick. She was feeling generous and shared the lipstick with my carpet, the door, and her feet. Oh, I had a drag queen Great Dane for a good week or so, and I still have pink carpet. <laughs> oh, yeah. Drag queen Great Dane. Uh-huh. So uh, this is one of my favorites, submitted by Amelia Ridley on Facebook. I let my Labrador come outside with me when I was taking the bins out one morning. Oh, yes. Do you want me to be English? Because when they say the bins, I know it's English. Yes, please I do. I let him go for a wonder, thinking he was just going to pee on the telegraph pole at the end of our driveway. The telegraph pole. Like he always does. Instead, he saw his opportunity and seized it. He kept walking past the telegraph pole, past the border of our property, up the neighbor's driveway, through their dog flap. In the side door, right up to the table where my neighbor was eating his breakfast and ate the bacon off his plate. Bloody hell. You got it. Went into a strange person's house and ate their bacon. <laughs> Can you also, though, as the put yourself in the, the um, I position. Me too. The I neighbor? would have been like, like well, who, hey, who, who do you belong you? to? Sure. Oh, you want some bacon? Here you oh, go. It's bad for my heart anyway. It. Yeah. yeah. How about uh, submitted by Teal Chestain Blackston? What name? That is. Facebook. There was that time when our yellow lab dug up the buried hamster in the backyard, then promptly came inside and vomited it all up. Um, no. That's reincarnation that you don't want, Megan. That's not. Please don't reincarnate me as vomit. Um, no. No. I won't. And, God, these are, these are fantastic. Um, <sighs> My old pit bull once ate half a box of my roommate's paintballs, around 500 of them, and for the next week had fluorescent orange poop. (laughs) (laughs) How about my dog ate super glue? Yeah, super glue. 
I threw him in the shower and opened his mouth to try to rinse it out. When I called the emergency vet, all she did was laugh the entire time. He was well, fine. It didn't super glue all of his organs together? I guess not. I guess it's not so super after all, is it? I guess not. Wow. Yep. I would have been really terrified in that situation. Like, I, I would have thought of immediately it cementing all their digestive system. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that's unreasonable, like the acid and, and stuff. I'm, I'm going to end us on... It, Dogs are are people, per, people, animals, people, persons. Yeah. <laughs> or dog, can a dog be dogs a people are person? people too. Well, <laughs> they want to be included. They do. Have you ever been in a potentially intimate moment and seen your dog watching or wanting to join or needing to shut the door to get them out of I there? I could do a whole podcast on it, my friend. Well, how I about two this? of them. Submitted by Robert Wilder from Facebook. While I was having sex with my, with a woman... My dog started having sex with her leg. And there we have the weirdest threesome of the week. <laughs> hey, Dad, this is what we're doing now? Cool. Right. I like this one that you brought home. Right. You take that side. I'll take this side. Yeah. Family bonding. I just don't. I don't know if the date would be over for me at that point or if I'd be like, well, this is endearing. Right. I'm such a dog person that I'd be like, well, he approves. So hopefully at the end of this, you do too. I feel like I might have been like, so can we stop for a minute? And could you maybe ask him to step outside? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm up. definitely stopping the thing, but then I'm going to use it as a good sign. Yeah. Like, I your mean, your dog likes me enough to join in. That dog's too. a team player. Other dogs I know just sit judgingly at the end of the bed going, what are you when, doing to mommy? When will this be over? When will yeah. this be The end? judgment that you the can feel the judgment. Looking looks. up at the clock and he's going, there's a, there's about five minutes left here. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to hang Good. tight because I think they're going to get me a treat after this. Right. Right. <laughs> the shame we always do with the girls it's because the shame, shame is there. Yeah. Like, the, you know, but you can't, we can't lock the girls out of the bedroom. Because they will make such a ruckus. Fark. Because they are left out that A, the rest of the house will know what is happening behind the store. <laughs> they know anyway. And B, they, like, it's too distracting. Well, you it's can't just, concentrate you, when there's animals jumping you at your door and barking, barking and scratching no. and whining and crying no. and be like screwing at the zoo. Yes. It, it's Which is not allowed, <laughs> by the way. You can totally get arrested for you that. Yes, you can. <laughs> Take I saw it from Megan. I saw a quote once. First of all, I'm talking about a quote, not personal experience. Yes. And I had this hanging on my wall for a long time and it said, if you're confident enough, every zoo is a petting zoo. <laughs> and I feel like that is really what very, sums me up very, as a person. I agree. I agree. So Yes. So there thank you for you're that welcome. lovely thing. I did talk about how cats are a little bit spiritual. Yeah. So I feel like it, we should be fair and talk about how dogs are seen. Dogs are seen as very spiritual and animals as well. Really? they Some of the most because they're exceptionally intuitive and can view life through their senses and rely on that. You know, often as humans, we, we've gotten away from our intuition. We rely so heavily on like society expectations in our minds. We don't have to go outside and take a long whiff and smell a predator a mile nope, off. We sure don't. I mean, I I try. I do. I wish we could. Right. So (laughs) they can sense energies and spirits just like humans can distinguish between positive and negative energies. And this is the reason why they often bark, growl, and behave strangely at times. They're very intuitive. So you should listen to your dog's intuition when yours is possibly failing you because of, I don't know, a, a society norm, right? Like this person's coming to my door and... And I'm supposed to open it and just be, you know, kind to them, whatever. 
right? Society kind of tells us like that. And you open the door and your dog starts growling. You can absolutely say, have a good nice day now and shut the door. You know what's so true about that? If someone came to my house and my cat hissed at them, I'd be like, Meredith's being a bitch and mm-hmm. move her off. Because mm-hmm. she just doesn't like change or really anybody in the house that doesn't live there. Sure. If my friendly, dumbass dog, both of them really, they growl at somebody, there's something wrong. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Follow that that intuition. Ladies, if your dog doesn't like that guy you brought home, have Mm -hmm. him leave. Listen to it. Listen to it. Don't let him join in the human dog Unless you know your dogs have something weird, like they don't like hats. Or they don't like, you know, like, you know, okay, take your hat off and how are they responding to you now? Right. But there are, there are some kind of weird things that I've heard of, of dogs having, but, um, this might be surprising, but even when I go into daycares, I have had incidences where I've been attacked by two dogs and for no reason, I mean, just laying in the corner, just all of a sudden they come up. Is that a benefit that they're protective of the kids in the daycare or is that a negative that they've attacked somebody? A stranger. Well, then they're like, well, it's just because, you know, you're not a member of the family. Cool. Neither are any of these daycare children or their parents that are coming to pick them up. So I'm sorry, but your dog. Why is... you always got to be logical and use common sense, Charnel? And do- and Jeez. I mean, typically dogs love me. I'm a very dog person. Oh, but yeah. then the more I investigate, you aren't intimidating to them. No, you're like their puppy. Yes. <laughs> I I like, and I can, I feel like I can speak to their souls and usually they just really love me. But interestingly enough, both times that this has happened and the dog has been aggressive with me, then I have to go through a whole interview process with other people and all this stuff. And I come to find out this dog is, is aggressive with everybody. Oh yeah. And so then it's like, okay, this isn't okay. We've got to, I don't know. And I don't know what's happening behind closed doors. Dogs can be trained to be aggressive. You know, so I don't... Animals, dogs are highly trainable Mm -hmm. to be as nice or as nasty as you want. Right. Which brings me back to cats that make up their own fucking mind and you don't get to decide (laughs) what they're going to be ever. You can't train a cat. Oh, I trained my cat to do this and trained cat to do that. No, you didn't. Your cat decided to do that. It you can say you. you trained it, but it made a conscious choice to do that. It didn't. It wouldn't do it if it didn't want to. They are. That you is can so train true. the dog to shake every time you get yeah. a treat, or to roll over, yeah. or to lay down, and and it will do it because they're so people pleasing. They yeah. just want to love us I unless think, they're trained otherwise. I think the human dog connection in t- might be a little bit deeper, at least on a different level mm-hmm. than a than a human cat. I do connection. think it's a different vibration. It's on a different vibration. Yeah. Although sure. I very much enjoy my connection with the cat because mm-hmm. I feel her. Like yeah, yeah. I I've loved all of my cats. That sometimes I had, when I put my hand up, I wish that claws like wolverines would come out mm-hmm. of it as well. Mm-hmm. I have a deep There's respect no question. for them. Right. But dogs are just like, they're happy to see you no matter what. Like, they that's unconditional love right there. The love between a dog and, like, oh. there are no conditions on that love. They can watch you do some horrific things and still want to be pet by you <laughs> and love you. You know? Right. Just saying. Thank you for not judging me for what you saw last night. Right. Right? Exactly. Oh, God. All right. Well, hopefully you guys uh, enjoyed these, our, our 200th episode Um Thank you for keeping us on air for two years. If you'd like to join Patreon, there's a link for that in the show notes. You could buy donate to help buy books for research through the buy um, buy, buy us a coffee, coffee buy me link. Coffee. Mm-hmm. That's also in the show notes. Um, and also all the links for Molly's case will be in the show notes as well. So, all right, you guys. Until next time, keep it curious. Keep listening. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Are you sick of giving the special people in your life the same old lame gifts year after year? Well, I am here to help you, friends. You know if you're an avid listener of this podcast, at the beginning of each episode, I shake a genuine kangaroo scrotum sack for good luck. Now you can own your own genuine handmade kangaroo scrotum sack and not just a sack. Maybe you're looking for a bottle opener, a unique back scratcher, whatever it is that you're looking for, you can find it at rueballs.com and enter code CRIME10 for 10% off your order. That's R-O-O-B-A-L-L-S dot com, promo code CRIME10 for 10% off your order. Keep it curious and keep it shaking.